At the Cryptid Keeper podcast, we love to laugh at the darkness, but we would never laugh at the rich cultures that explore it, or the unique cultural significance of the creatures explored. The jokes within are on no one but us. We encourage additional research on the subjects covered here, and hope that a comedy podcast is not your primary source of information. As always, we are entering the realm of the bizarre and frightening, so listener discretion is advised. Just like the story of Nessie herself, this episode suffers from some unusual twists and turns, including a few technical difficulties. We've done our best to assemble it into something listenable and hopefully really enjoyable just the same. Thank you for your patience, and we're sorry for the inconvenience. Hope that you still enjoy the show. Welcome to the Cryptid Keeper Podcast, the podcast for cryptids and their keepers. That's us. And if you're listening, it's you too. I'm Alex Flanagan. And I'm Addison Peacock. And you may have heard Addison giggling at the beginning, and it was not actually because of anything funny that I said. Just want to <laughs> get that out in the open. Pods cast. Gummies probiotic. My face exfoliated. My energy chaotic. Hello. I'm here to do a podcast today. I was so unprepared for where that was going because you said pods cast and I was like, oh, we're just pluralizing nouns strangely. And then I was like trying to think of ways to react. <laughs> and then you said other words and my brain was like, none of those follow the pattern. I, I don't <laughs> understand the pattern of one thing that you gave me without any context. Because it is a very, very weird, loose interpretation of a meme I see sometimes that makes me laugh. Um, no, I get it now. I Now I get the meme. I am thank you. pretty on the line, so oh, I, I do understand. I did take my probiotic gummies right before we started recording. I mean, really, it's the only way to take probiotics in this, the year 2019. It's very true. Um, if you're curious, Up4 has a vegan probiotic gummy. It's made with uh, vegetable pectin and not gelatin. Uh, oh, nice. If that's your jam. The melatonin that I occasionally take is made of vegetable pectin, and I find the texture delightful. It's like uh, the Scooby-Doo fruit snacks texture. It's good stuff. Because if I'm not mistaken, Scooby-Doo fruit snacks are, in fact, vegan. They don't have gelatin. I think it's a uh, pectin. Anyway, hi, this is not a podcast about about <laughs> vitamins. Hi, welcome. This is a podcast where we talk about pleasurable vitamin textures. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Uh, mm. We can't do it. We can't start another side podcast. We there already are enough. This one has a has a pretty high propensity for sponsorship, though, unlike our other projects, which mostly will get us sued. Ah, uh, true, true. We could get sponsor. Hey, um, up for probiotics. Hit us up with that with that sponsorship money. I could um I could really use some elderberry gummies. So if you're Ooh, yeah. feeling like maybe heading up to some of those, um, let if me I know. I'll just, get a PO box set up. If I could just have unlimited probiotic gummies, that would be great. Thank you. My gut bacteria need the help. Okay, anyway. <laughs> That's the energy we're going to take with us into 2020, baby. It sure is. And into this episode. <laughs> apparently. Can yeah. you believe we've made like more than a hundred of these? Anyway, I think about that sometimes. Significantly more than a hundred at this point. That's so wild. You're telling me. Anyway. Uh, well, speaking of, you know, we've been doing this for a while. We've been sort of trying our hand at the game. And yes. I know that sometimes we, um, 
We, in, a, in an effort to expand our repertoire, as long as it may last us, I know our that reptar? we have occasionally... Yes, our reptar. We have occasionally dabbled in uh, cryptids that are less, less cryptid than others. Um, but, you know, every once in a while, it's nice to get back to basics. It's nice to really, really jump feet first into one of the uh, cryptid pantheon, as it were. And today, oh. I'm bringing you a pretty big deal cryptid, actually. Oh, oh my goodness. Okay. I would even consider this to be, like, one of the big three. Do we have a celebrity in the studio We today? do. We have a celebrity in our midst. Ellen, I can't believe you did this. This episode today is about the Loch Ness <gasps> Monster. <laughs> I just I just yeah. I... <laughs> I think the Loch Ness Monster is like the Wonder Woman of, <laughs> of cryptids. Like I was thinking about this big three thing. And I, like, you know, they're like the big, like there's Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. I think Loch Ness Monster is the Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. I think Mothman is probably the Batman. And I think Bigfoot is probably the Superman. But I digress. Today we're talking about her. Only her. Just her. Oh, wow. Do you need a minute? I'm just, oh, wow. I'm so excited. Alex, you didn't. Alex, you didn't. <laughs> I do have a patch that I have yet to sew onto anything, but it's just waiting for the right denim jacket that says Nessie's Girl on it, so I am feeling very ready. I understand, Um, and yeah, I'm very excited. It's sometimes intimidating to try to do one of this caliber, but we can't run from it forever, and uh, (laughs) someone... I have have yet to make a Bigfoot episode for this exact reason. (laughs) Mood. Um... And yeah, but one of our Patreon donors did request this one in the year 2019, so here we are. I figured we would try to slip this one in before we hit the holiday rush and try to do some seasonal boys. So we'll get get it done. It's going to be great. I am more excited than anxious because, frankly, there is a buck-wild wealth of information for you here, including some very colorful characters in the Loch Ness Monster lore. I don't know if you're aware. This does not surprise me. I am... I don't know the specifics. I'm imagining like a middle-aged Scottish man with a kilt and a tam shanter rowing out into the middle of the lock in the boat. <laughs> More than one, my friend. So many. Oh, thank God. Okay. Very good. It's a tale of love. It's a tale of lo- like lock. It's a tale of, <laughs> I was going to say something else. And I realized that's not true. It's not really a tale of lust. I don't think it's a tale uh, of lock. Well. It's a tale of love. It's a tale of loss. It's a tale of revenge. Revenge. Mm-hmm. Who wronged her and what must she do to <laughs> seek vengeance, to seek retribution? Anyway, we'll, we'll get there. So Loch Ness Monster. <clears throat> Wikipedia says in Scottish folklore, the Loch Ness Monster or Nessie is said to be a creature that inhabits Loch Ness in the Scottish Highlands. It is often described as large in size, with a long neck and one or more humps protruding from the water. Popular interest and belief in the creature have varied since it was brought to worldwide attention in 1933. Evidence of its existence is anecdotal, with a few disputed photographs and sonar readings. Now, Addison, you may or may not know this, but would you like to take a guess at what the chronological first sighting of Nessie was? Um, like, what year? Mm-hmm. I mean, Scotland's been around for quite some time. Uh, yeah, Scotland's pretty old. It's pretty old. I want to throw it back. Like, I always, I, I underestimate because I live in a country that is, is very, very baby. Oh, my God, yeah. Um, we're baby. That's the we're United baby. States ma- national uh, credo. That's we're baby. Uh, anyway, I, I, like, probably 
sometime medieval, like maybe early, like maybe 1200, 1300. The year actually was 565. Oh my god. I know, right? I thought I was going too early. There is some saintly lore surrounding our good girl Nessie. Oh, is she like a, a leviathan or like is there some of that? Or It's distinctly possible. Okay. Okay. So some things you'll find when we get into talking about Loch Ness lore is that there are a few different categories of sighting that come into play here. So yes. 1933 is when Nessie sort of entered the popular canon under her current name, visage, image, underwent a rebrand. Uh, that's when we all came to know and love her emergence onto the scene. It was her, mm-hmm. her debutante coming out party, as it were. And that's when we all started knowing her by her current name. However, there were uh, sightings and and anecdotes that go back further, at least to like the early 1800s. People who would trace like family stories or like generational sightings and say, I knew a person who saw someone back to about 1800. But Mm. then we have lore and like canonized stories that go back so much further than that that have to do with creatures who retrospectively fit the description of Nessie perfectly. So people weren't saying, I saw the Loch Ness Monster here in ye year 563. It was more of like, we have these stories about famous serpents, as it were. And then later we sort of retrofitted those into the Nessie narrative. Got it. Okay. But um, aquatic beasties are no stranger to the Scottish canon of cryptids. We've talked about a few on this podcast before. You know, we've had a lot of our little Celtic swimmy boys. We've talked about Kelpies. Mm -hmm. And um, there are other, like, smaller sea serpents as well as aquatic monsters. uh, Things that go bump in the night and rise out of the bogs. It's, It's all very atmospheric. But... There is some speculation that maybe the reason some of these sightings go back so far is not because of Nessie specifically, but because of other aquatic, scary Scottish incidences, which have then later been attributed to the Nessie lore in order to make that make sense. Right. The scientific community regards the Loch Ness Monster as a phenomenon without biological basis, explaining sightings as hoaxes, Uh, wishful thinking, and the misidentification of mundane objects, and to that I say nay. Excuse you. Extremely rude. Frankly, untenable. We will not stand. Just the sheer lack of curiosity in those statements really makes me quite sad. Like, even if you don't think there's currently anything there, we've talked about this before, Nature is weird. There are lots of strange animals that we thought either didn't exist or we literally thought were myths or we thought were Mm -hmm. impossible and that we have been proven wrong time and time again because nature, she is tricky and she knows more than we. Mm -hmm. Truly. We have have only just begun to plunge the terrifying depths of the human experience on this biological sphere we inhabit, but I digress. The point is Nessie is real and I love her. Well, yeah. Anyway, so that uh, rash of sightings popularized in the 1930s. However, there are still sightings to this day. So there are some very, very modern, very recent ones that we will get into as well. And uh, it's worth noting that nobody has really done any serious efforts to quash the Nessie fascination on account of that would result in a big lack of tourism money going into that particular area of Scotland. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Follow the money, folks. They want those tourist dollars. She'll never be proven or disproven as long as there's money to be made on the mystery. Dang, all right. And that's just how it is. Anyway, the first modern discussion of a sighting of a strange creature in the loch may have been in the 1870s, when D. Mackenzie claimed to have seen something, quote unquote, wriggling and churning up the water. Oh. This account was not published until 1934, however. Research indicates that several newspapers did publish items about a creature in the loch well before 1934, but 1934 is the year that, like, the one story that sort of launched it to national acclaim and international acclaim came into the public view. The best-known article that first attracted a great deal of attention about a creature was published on 2nd May 1933 in Inverness Courier about a large, quote-unquote, beast or whale-like fish. The article by Alex Campbell, who is the, and I did not know this was a job that existed, water bailiff for Loch Ness. Um, I'm going to need you to run that back one more time. Sure. The article was by Alex Campbell, who was the water bailiff for Loch Ness and a part-time part journalist. I, I really think this guy was probably just a superhero and that was the cover story. I love jobs that don't sound like real jobs. I know. Water bailiff. It's wild. A water bailiff is a law enforcement officer responsible for the policing of bodies of water, such as a river, lake, or coast. That's the a position... much better name than water cop. Oh, yeah, no, water bailiff is so powerful. Anyway, he was a water bailiff and a part-time journalist. Good for him. And he discussed a sighting by Aldi McKay of an enormous creature with the body of a whale rolling in the water in the loch. While, uh, while Aldi and her husband, John, were diving on the A82... Sorry, driving, not diving. We're driving on the A82. Very different story. On 15th April, 1933, the word monster was reportedly applied for the first time in Campbell's article, although some reports claimed that it was coined by editor Evan Barron. I do not care for the sake of this story. I am just interested in the fact that there is a water bailiff who published a story about a monster in the loch. Uh, the Courier in 2017 published, as sort of a throwback, excerpts from the Campbell article, which had been titled, Strange Spectacle in Loch Ness. And I do have an excerpt from that article here, if you would care to hear Please. it. Please. The creature disported itself, rolling and plunging for fully a minute, its body resembling that of a whale, and the water cascading and churning like a simmering cauldron. Soon, however, it disappeared into a boiling mass of foam. Both onlookers confessed that there was something uncanny about the whole thing, for they realized that here was no ordinary denizen of the depths. Because apart from its enormous size, the beast, in taking the final plunge, sent out waves that were big enough to have been caused by a passing steamer. Now, this may just be me projecting. Mm-hmm. I do not believe that Mr. Campbell was content to be a water bailiff. Perhaps not. It sounds to me like maybe there were aspirations of some much more rose-colored career. Perhaps he wanted to become a full-time journalist. <laughs> he wanted to be a novelist. Aww. Mother, I just want to write my poems. But I have to police all of this water. The <laughs> What country do you think we're in right now? <laughs> I don't know. I was going to say, as as beautiful and as quite purple as that prose was, I would, I, I don't know how I'm meant to immerse myself in this world if you won't do the accent. <laughs> oh, man. <clears throat> the problem is I know for a fact we do have European listeners. I know. European, as it were. 
What's up with that word? Hey, did it stop me from doing the world's most (laughs) god-awful Irish accent? Uh, no, no, it didn't. <laughs> did it stop me from being uh, being a, a mad Russian yet again? Did um, it stop us from doing just so many crimes against the nation of Australia? <laughs> Listen, they can handle it. They've been through a lot. <laughs> Listen, folks, we can't even pronounce half the places in the United States correctly. <laughs> I don't know what you expected. Anyway, according to a 2013 article... Um, People spend a lot of time in more recent newspapers just writing about these earlier articles, which is kind of wild. But anyway, according to a 2013 article, McKay said that she had yelled, Stop! The Beast! when viewing the spectacle. (laughs) In the late 1980s, a naturalist interviewed L.D. McKay, and she admitted to knowing that there had been an oral tradition of a beast in the lock well before her claimed sighting. Hmm... Alex Campbell's 1933 article also stated that Loch Ness has for generations been credited with being the home of a fearsome-looking monster. So, even though the 1933 article was the first time that we, the world at large, heard mention of a monster, quote-unquote, in Loch Ness, that had been discussed for quite some time among the people of the area. Or at least supposedly so. There were whispers and murmurings of a Mm -hmm. beast in the water. Yes. On 4th August 1933, the Courier published a report of another alleged sighting. This one was claimed by Londoner George Spicer, the head of a firm of tailors. I think just, like, having a very specific career is central to the experience of seeing the Loch Ness Monster. I think so. He's the head of a firm of tailors. Because there's another one I'll tell you about later that will blow your mind. (laughs) Oh, good. I'm... I want to hear, what what did George Spicer have to say for himself? Anyway, George Spicer, several weeks earlier, while they were driving around the lock, he and his wife saw the nearest approach to a dragon or prehistoric animal that I've ever seen in my life, (laughs) trundling across the road toward the lock with an animal in its mouth. Oh, no. He described it as having a long neck, which moved up and down in the manner of a scenic railway. What? You know, in the manner of a scenic railway. What that? Does he mean like the way a train bounces on a rail? Like, what <laughs> you know does how he trains mean? have long necks. No, but like, <laughs> what does he mean? I don't know. <laughs> I think people in London don't know what hills are. <laughs> I, I just um, when the metaphor makes it cloudier instead of clearer, you've run into a problem. <laughs> yeah. He said the body was fairly big with a high back, but if there were any feet, they must have been of the web kind. And as for a tail, I cannot say, as it moved so rapidly, and when we got to the spot, it had probably disappeared into the lock. You think he would have noticed a tail, being his that he was a tail? What I love about this is he's like clearly didn't see feet, but is perfectly willing to assume what those feet must have looked like. The webbed kind. The webbed kind. Also, like, describes the animal's nature of moving as trundling, but then (laughs) describes that it moved so rapidly that he couldn't tell if it had a tail. And I don't know, something about, like, the image of something trundling at breakneck speed is just (laughs) utterly (laughs) horrifying to me. (laughs) Like, there there are just certain words that even though they mean ostensibly the same thing are not irreplaceable right so like trundling and you know even just 
marching are two like similar enough words, but something marching quickly and something trundling quickly are like definitely different experiences. Oh, absolutely. I I'm just I imagine a sort of when puppies have their 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 paws too big for their bodies uh-huh. and they run real fast, but they're kind of like falling over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. all like an envision too, but it must have been doing it so quickly that like you couldn't even get a good look at this huge creature. So and like s- that thing was booking it <laughs> <laughs> with a creature in its mouth. Nessie was doing wind sprints. I love it with her dinner in her mouth. <laughs> She'd like gone to pick up takeout and she was fully in sweatpants, not prepared to see anybody. George Spicer rolls up and she's like, "Oh no!" And just I have to go. Books it back to the lock. Truly me when I saw someone I took a voice acting class with in Walgreens when I was in my sweats. You took a voice acting class in Walgreens? <laughs> yep, that's exactly <laughs> what I said. You're, that's perfect perfect listening comprehension and extrapolation based on context clues. <laughs> Your modifier was dangling. <laughs> oh my god. Oh no! Are there children watching? <laughs> No, just George Spicer, who does not know what trains look like. Uh, But he can get you in a great suit. (laughs) After the publication of this article, letters began appearing in the Courier, often anonymously, claiming land or water sightings by the writer, their family or acquaintances, or remembered stories. The accounts reached the media, which described a monster fish, sea serpent, or dragon, and eventually settled on Loch Ness Monster. Mm. Over the years, various hoaxes were also perpetrated, usually proven, quote-unquote, by photographs, which were later debunked. Mm. Now, we will get back to the, like, super early history of um, of the Loch Ness Monster's 500s years um, in a minute, but I want to skip over to Britannica.com, which has a pretty cool article on the Loch Ness Monster. Yes, that Britannica of encyclopedic fame. Oh, okay. Yes, you know the one. I do. I'm going to introduce you to another colorful character in the Loch Ness Monster's rich and storied history. Please. You do have to give me a second, though. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, okay. My phone is being extremely slow. That is fine. The article on Loch Ness. It's like, no, no, we've never told you anything about a monster. We're an encyclopedia. We're very respectable. We oh, would still never. No. Did okay, they here edit it, it? No. No, it's, good. it's here now. <clears throat> Loch Ness Monster. By name, Nessie. Large marine creature believed by some people to inhabit Loch Ness, Scotland. I just love that introduction. It's very good. Oh, it's good. Okay, so here's the deal. 1933, Loch Ness Monster's legend began to grow. Uh, You know, the road that that sighting had taken place on as um, Spicer and his wife were driving by, uh, the, the road adjacent to Loch Ness had actually just been finished in 1933. So that road offered an unobstructed view of the lake, which previously didn't exist. And so there's, you know, reason to believe that that's part of what led to this increase in sightings, quote unquote, is that people were able to drive by the lake like leisurely for the first time. And so mm. there were more people just looking into it. In April, that couple saw the Loch Ness Monster, which they described as a dragon or prehistoric monster. Uh, The incident was reported in the newspaper and numerous sightings followed. In December 1933, the Daily Mail commissioned Marmaduke Wetherell. Oh, run that by me one more time. Marmaduke Wetherell, Mm. a big game hunter. (laughs) 
<laughs> Let me just start the sentence over. In December 1933, the Daily Mail commissioned Marmaduke Weatherell, a big game hunter, to locate the sea serpent. Yes. Yes. A newspaper hired a big game hunter to go look for a dragon well, in the lake. Wouldn't you trust a man named Marmaduke? <laughs> Marmaduke Weatherell. <laughs> Long was he or was stores. he not a large dog? <laughs> I am envisioning this man. I've never seen pictures of Marmaduke Weatherell, but in my mind, I can only imagine him like six and a half feet tall, strapping shoulders, enormous red mustache. He looks like the guy like, from that like old, um, that old timey picture of the boxer that they meme. You know what I'm talking oh, yeah, about? Oh yeah, a hundred percent. At any given moment, he's carrying six different bagpipes and 15 guns. <laughs> <laughs> that is the image of Marmaduke Weatherell. The guns are in the bagpipes. They're hidden the inside guns the are pipes. In the, bag the barrels pipes. are tucked 100%. inside. It's brilliant. And he made all of them from scratch. <laughs> Along the lake's shores, he found large footprints that he believed belonged to, and I quote, a very powerful, soft-footed animal about 20 feet long. Oh. <laughs> it's kind of nice, actually. How soft were its feet? <laughs> Marmaduke, you scamp. <laughs> <laughs> However, upon closer inspection, zoologists at the Natural History Museum determined that the tracks were identical and made with an umbrella stand or ashtray that had a hippopotamus leg as a base. Damn it! <laughs> Weatherall's role in the hoax was unclear. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Oh yes, it wasn't already interesting. <laughs> this this is nothing. I want you to hold on to this image of Mr. Weatherell for a while. Just okay, sort okay. of tuck it into the back of your brain. Just sort of let his presence linger there. Ugh. Sort of quietly stewing as he stomps around with his hippopotamus leg stand umbrella holster. Yes, very good. And we will revisit him very, very soon. Okay. I'll tuck him away. I'll let him marinate like a fine Scottish stew. I don't know what stews they make over there. Mm-hmm. Um, haggis mostly, which is not a stew, but, but haggis probably. All right. So the news only seemed to spur efforts to prove the monster's existence. This event was enormous and it, it is sort of what set off the chain of events of people really getting into the Nessie hype. So in 1934, English physician Robert Kenneth Wilson, uh, photographed the alleged creature. The iconic image known as the surgeon's photograph is probably the one that you've seen, actually. It's the one that floats around most often, where you have sort of the surface of the water and the shadowy image yes. of the head and like a little little uh, bump just behind it. That is known colloquially as the surgeon's photograph because it was taken by this English physician who I don't believe was a surgeon. I believe I read elsewhere that he was actually a gynecologist, but, oh, you know, he took this photograph. Was he um, too embarrassed to tell the people that he was a... I'm a, uh, a, a surgeon. Yes. A perfectly normal man, doctor for men. Yep, surgeon. Mm, that's Just what I do. Just doing real, actual man medicine science. He shouldn't you be know. ashamed. I know. Well, uh, he, he was a, a groundbreaking figure in so very many ways. But yes. Uh, the image appeared to show the monster's small head and neck. The Daily Mail printed the photograph, sparking an international sensation. Many speculated that the creature was a plesiosaur, a marine reptile that went extinct some 65.5 million years ago. Oh yes, very good, a plesiosaur. Mm -hmm. 
The Loch Ness area attracted numerous monster hunters. Over the years, several sonar explorations, notably in 1987 and again in 2003, were undertaken to locate the creature, but none were successful. In addition, numerous photographs allegedly showed the beast, but most were discredited as, as fakes or as depicting other animals or objects. Now, let's, let's go back to that surgeon's photograph just real quick. Yes. Just like so super quick, we're gonna get back to the surgeon's photograph because it turns out that that particular image has a collection to our dear Mr. Weatherell that we are overlooking. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so since 1994, most agree that that particular photo was an elaborate hoax. It had been described as a fake in a December 1975 Sunday Telegraph article that fell into obscurity, and details of how the photo were, was taken were published in the 1999 book Nessie, The Surgeon's Photograph Exposed, which contains a facsimile of that 1975 article. That also sounds exactly anyway. like the tea spill video that someone would make about that now, <laughs> which is amazing. Exposed. Anyway... The creature was reportedly a toy submarine built by Christian Sperling, the son-in-law of, any guesses? Marmaduke. Marmaduke. <gasps> Marmaduke. <laughs> the son-in-law of Marmaduke Witherell. Witherell had been publicly ridiculed by his employer, the Daily Mail, after he found Nessie footprints that turned out to be a hoax. To get revenge on the mail, Witherell perpetrated his hoax with co-conspirator Sperling, who was a sculpture specialist, Ian Witherell, his son, who bought the material for the fake, and Maurice Chambers, an insurance agent. Oh, the perfect crime. Some people's family businesses are accounting firms. Some people's family businesses are hardware stores. And some people's are Loch Ness monster hoaxes to punish newspapers. I really want to watch the like uh, sort of throwbacky period film that's like a really beautiful portrait of a family on the brink, like kind of quirky. Like he was a big game hunter. He was an insurance salesman. Together they were growing apart. <laughs> As you speak that, I need you to know as those words left your mouth somewhere in like a boutique opium den or wherever he spends his time, <laughs> Wes Anderson's ears just perked up. Oh my God. I wish you weren't as right as you are. I, I actually really like a lot of Wes Anderson films. I'm sorry for implying that he does opium, but it felt really <laughs> That was an odd take, but I'm not mad about it. Anyway, the toy submarine was bought from F.W. Woolworths, and its head and neck were made from wood putty. After testing it in the local pond, the group went to Loch Ness, where Ian Weatherell took the photos near the Altsite Tea House. Mm. When they heard a water bailiff approaching, Duke <laughs> Weatherell sank the model with his foot, and it is presumably still somewhere in Loch Ness. And here's where my headcanon <laughs> kicks in. Mm-hmm. I think I think that maybe perhaps it was like pretty small, correct? It was like littleish. Yeah, it's like pretty little. It's just like it was a little toy submarine they built a fake dinosaur. I think on. Nessie probably has has it. She probably it's keeps a little it. rubber ducky. <laughs> or like the way that um like uh I don't know if you had this, but um my aunt had this cat. Uh, my aunt had this cat who ended up getting uh taken to a nature preserve. Basically, she was a mm -hmm. this is a longish story, but stay with me. Um, she was a savanna cat. Uh which is a type of cat that is crossbred with a type that is wild. Um, mm -hmm. But you have to wait a certain amount of generations for them to actually be a 
able to be domesticated. Otherwise, they are basically just feral. They are wild animals. Sure. And the one that she got was like from a less than reputable breeder. I don't know the whole story, but Maya was the cat. She was not, she was not able to be domesticated. So she was just kind of a feral, like wild cat that lived mm-hmm. on their por- on their screened in porch. Um, she had like a very good life and then was then was uh, taken to a nature preserve but before she was uh, taken to the nature preserve she would the only toys she would interact with was she would carry these little cat beanie babies and treat oh. them like her kittens oh and so it's 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 her baby it's her little baby um that is so good and i love it so that's also much. a story that sounds it's one of my life stories that i don't realize sounds fake until i try to tell it and then <laughs> i'm like no but like it was real. i respect it you can look up savannah cats they're a thing anyway this story is not over however please oh i'm so sorry yes so when they heard a water bailiff approaching <laughs> weatherell sank the model with his foot and it's presumably still somewhere in loch ness Chambers gave the photographic plates to Wilson, the surgeon, a friend of his who enjoyed, quote unquote, a good practical joke. (laughs) I'm so stressed out. Wilson brought the plates to Ogston's, an Inverness chemist, and gave them to George Morrison for development. He sold the first photo to the Daily Mail, who then announced that the monster had been photographed. Isn't that powerful? This is such a chain of events. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. So there were two photographs. Little is known of the second photo. It's often ignored by researchers who, their words not mine, believe its quality too poor and its differences from the first photo too great to warrant analysis. So what's interesting about this second photo is that uh, it was from like the same set, but because it is so different, the prevailing theory is that like Wilson hecked up and just like got these pictures from this monster hoax. And like one of the other pictures in there, he was just like, this was probably supposed to be a picture of the monster. And it was actually just like a picture of something else that wasn't supposed to be in with the batch. (laughs) (laughs) It was, it was like a selfie. <laughs> it's just Marmaduke. Yeah. It's just Marmaduke weather. Everybody's trying to figure out like, does that, is that, maybe that's the head? And then this over here the is. The curvature they're seeing kind of... is the curve of his handlebar mustache. <laughs> this is really incredible. <laughs> it looks like it's furry. <laughs> How are you feeling so far about the colorful cast of characters surrounding the Loch Ness legend? I feel good. I feel like I need to write this before Wes Anderson does get his quirky little hands on it. I would love to read your version of this story where uh, a father and a son and uh, the son-in-law who are growing apart, like, figure out this one last job situation to bring them back together and to get revenge on the newspaper that, like, drove their father out of a career that he really loved. Yeah. It's actually, like, very, very tight. Also, that just goes to show that, like, my, my, my British friends are correct. The Daily Mail has, like, been trash. Oh, complete trash. They didn't have to do Marmaduke like that. Like, they continue to, like, be a trash publication. Sorry, don't sue me, Daily Mail, but, like... Because here's the thing. They hired him. So either they hired him to do a hoax and then hung him out to dry, or, like... They hired him to do a buck wild thing, and then when he turned in a hoax story they were more than happy to print, they let him take the fall for it. Either way, they're trash garbage. Yeah, don't do my They're guy trash like that. garbage. Marmaduke Weatherall deserved better. Can't believe they did my guy like that. Okay, wait, or maybe a third option. Yes. Bear with me. What if mm-hmm. pic- picture the scene with me. <clears throat> it's yes. 1933. 
Yes. Loch Ness Monster craze is sweeping the nation. Oh, I sure do love reading about the Loch Ness Monster in all the papers. <laughs> that is exactly what a Scottish person sounds like. I'm a uh, woman in the 1930s. <laughs> everyone sounds like this. It doesn't matter. There's no such thing as a nation. Ha! Anyway, <clears throat> the editor of the Daily Mail sits at his desk smoking a cigar, thinks to himself, Man, I sure would like to get in on this somehow. He says, get me that Marmaduke Weatherell, big game hunter. He's just the man for this case. They find Marmaduke, rugged, a little bit wild-eyed, young, spirited, barrel-chested, handsome, <laughs> handsome as the day is long. And they say, Marmaduke, you're our guy. And Marmaduke says, sure, I'll do it. <laughs> no, he's the only one with a Scottish accent. I have no stake in this. So Marmaduke sets out to the lock to prove the existence of this monster. What he wasn't expecting, Addison, yes, was to fall in love. Oh. You see, Marmaduke Weatherell set out that day, fully prepared to ruin the life of a monster, but he couldn't quite bring himself to ruin the life of the monster woman that he loved. Oh. Better to protect her privacy and to go out looking like a fool in front of the entire country, nay, the entire world than to risk that beautiful creature out there in the water. Oh. So he did the only thing he knew how to do. He got himself a hippopotamus leg umbrella stand. And <laughs> he went out there for six hours straight on the misty moors and he stamped. He stamped like his life depended on it. And in the end, it didn't matter. They threw his career away. But till his dying day, he knew his sacrifice was worth it. That's the story of Marmaduke Weatherell invented by me just now. Wow. <laughs> That's what biographers won't dare to tell you. <laughs> they won't teach you this stuff in history class. <laughs> they won't teach you that in school. <laughs> I imagine one day he sits down his son and he says to him, Son, there's something I ought to be telling you about who your real mother is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <clears throat> if you had the chance to change your feet, would you? <laughs> and right about here is where my audio cuts out for no good reason. Because Reaper has decided to reap many things, including my audio and my happiness. But, you know, we press on, we persevere, and Alex is going to take over now with a One Alex show all about the Loch Ness Monster. Alex, take us home. Oh, man. Speaking of space, we have an incoming transmission. Beep, 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 Anyway, this is an incoming transmission from our good friends at Lunar Light, or rather submitted through the Lunar Light Studio. You can do the same thing if you'd like to hear us read your announcement, advertisement, or personal message on the show. Let me tell you this, friends. We used to leave reviews to the experts. Nowadays, any old person can leave a one-star review whenever they want, and sometimes those reviews get real bananas. That's why Everyone's a Critic, the internet's first curated volume of other people's opinions, is here to bring you the best of the worst in online reviews. Every Wednesday, Jess and Jonathan surprise each other with the funniest reviews they can find on a variety of topics, from hot dog toasters to Mount St. Helens. Sounds like a winner of a concept to me. I think that sounds like an extremely good time, and also definitely the way I want to spend every single Wednesday from now until forever. 
But if that sounds good to you, you can check out Everyone's a Critic with Jess and Jonathan on iTunes or wherever you get podcasts. Oh my god, I recently was watching the Jenny Nicholson video on um, just reviewing giant spiders. <laughs> just reviewing giant spiders. So Jess and Jonathan, if you're out there, uh, thank you for your transmission. And if you're looking for future content, mine I suggest spiders. <laughs> Please review spiders. <laughs> or review other people reviewing spiders, I guess, technically. So that was the beautiful, heart-rending story of Marmaduke Weatherell and uh, his lifelong love affair with the Loch Ness Monster, which may or may not have been slightly extrapolated. Anyway, um, let's talk a little bit about the earliest origins of Nessie, as it were. <clears throat> so the earliest report of a monster in the vicinity of Loch Ness appears in The Life of St. Columba, which was a text written in the 6th century AD. The author was writing about a century after the events described, but in the events of the story, the Irish monk St. Columba was staying in the land of the Picts with his companions when he encountered local residents burying a man by the river Ness. They explained that the man was swimming in the water when he was attacked by a water beast, which mauled him and dragged him underwater. Although they tried to rescue him in a boat, he was dead. Columba sent a follower to swim across the river. The beast approached him, but Columba made the sign of the cross and said, Go no further. Do not touch the man. Go back at once. The creature stopped as if it had been pulled back with ropes and fled, and Columba's men and the Picts gave thanks for what they perceived as a miracle. Um, something interesting about this is that uh, Wikipedia then goes on to tell me that skeptics question the narrative's reliability, which, like, yeah, buddy. <laughs> Like, yeah, they do. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Listen, I don't mean to be a killjoy or anything, but I like to consider myself something of a critical thinker, and mm, I'm sensing some holes. <laughs> I consider myself something of a realist, and, um... I have a healthy degree of skepticism when it comes to stories where a saint from the 500s tells a sea monster to turn around and it does. Like, yeah, skeptics take issue with it. I should think so. There's so many other really phenomenal sources on Nessie that I really wanted to fit into this episode, but uh, Marmaduke took us on a journey. I think one that I absolutely want to make sure that we visit before we go anywhere else is, you know, when you're doing research, something they tell you is really, really, really important is to get as many primary sources as you can. So I've given you a lot of secondary information, a lot of tertiary information today. Um, but you know, there is a website out there that just has a copy of Nessie's diary. And so I think that's like a really important place to go. Hi folks, my name's Nessie and I live in Loch Ness, Scotland. I'm an elusive creature. I manage to keep my appearances to a minimum. Below are some of the entries in my diary of when I've been seen with a few snapshots to prove it. Yeah, Nessie's diary. You can go to nessie.co.uk and read Nessie's diary. It's really great. 565 AD. One of my ancestors was out for a swim one day and bumped into St. Columba, who was crossing the lock with his followers. This is the first recorded sighting of our species. <laughs> April 1933. I was spotted by Mr. and Mrs. John McKay, who were motoring along the lockside road and saw me basking in the sun in the middle of the lock. <laughs> 1933, a local chap was walking near foyers and saw me when I was washing my back. He snapped this photograph for my album. Okay, so there are a few different directions we can go from here. I'll try to fit in both. Um, there is an interesting article, actually, from just earlier this year, back in September. 
And um, actually, if you Google this, you'll get a bunch of different articles because basically all with the same headline from different publications because this this scientific information was released and then a bunch of different news outlets ran with it. But I'm reading the one from BBC News, which says, uh, 5th September 2019, Loch Ness Monster may be a giant eel, say scientists. The creatures behind repeated sightings of the fabled Loch Ness Monster may be giant eels. Researchers from New Zealand have tried to catalog all living species in the loch by extracting DNA from water samples. Following analysis, the scientists have ruled out the presence of large animals said to be behind reports of a monster. Sounds fake, but okay. No evidence of a prehistoric marine reptile called a plesiosaur or a large fish such as a sturgeon were found. Catfish and suggestions that a wandering Greenland shark were behind the sightings were also discounted. The aim of the research was not to find Nessie, but to improve knowledge of what plants and animals live in Loch Ness. European eels are among the creatures in the loch, though, and whose DNA was picked up by the new research. Juvenile eels, known as elvers, which is actually like a really cute name for a baby eel, <laughs> arrive in Scottish rivers and lochs after migrating more than 3,100 miles from the Sargasso Sea near the Bahamas, where the animals spawn and lay eggs. Professor Neil Gemmel, a geneticist from New Zealand's University of Otago, said, People love a mystery. We've used science to add another chapter to Loch Ness's mystique, which I like. I like it when people, you know, admit that they are using their science not to uh, debunk the interesting lore and the stories, but to try to enhance our understanding of them. We can't find any evidence of a creature that's remotely related to that in our environmental DNA sequence data. So, sorry. I don't think the plesiosaur idea holds up based on the data that we have obtained. He added, there's no shark DNA in Loch Ness based on our sampling. There is also no catfish DNA in Loch Ness based on our sampling, and we can't find any evidence of sturgeon either. There is a very significant amount of eel DNA. Eels are very plentiful in Loch Ness, with eel DNA found at pretty much every location sampled. There are a lot of them. <laughs> and I don't care for that information at all. But are they giant eels? Well, our data doesn't reveal their size, but the sheer quantity of the material says that we can't discount the possibility that there may be giant eels in Loch Ness. <laughs> Therefore, we can't discount the possibility that what people see and believe is the Loch Ness monster might be a giant eel. <laughs> sure would love that. Um, anyway, I think what's funny about that to me is that they're like, listen... They're not, like, discounting the Loch Ness Monster. They're just saying it's rubbish to believe that it's a plesiosaur. That's ridiculous. There's no way it's a sturgeon. It is obviously an extremely large eel. <laughs> Science, man. I do have a page pulled up here, which is just, you can find it yourself, LochNessSightings.com, pretty straightforward, which prides itself on cataloging all of the uh, latest sightings, and it considers itself the official Loch Ness Monster Sightings page, as it were. I'm not going to go into detail with any of them, but I do want you to know that in 2019, there are, as of the updating of this site, 17 so far this year, which is a record number for the 21st century. Uh, in 2018, there were 15 sightings logged on this site. In, in 2017, there were 12. So, like, pretty consistent. 2016, there were only seven, but, you know, we can forgive that. 2015, there were also seven, seven in 2014 as well. In 2013, there was only one. 2012, there were two. 2011, there were five. Um, and then a few sparse years going back to, like, the early 2000s, where there were only between one and five every year. Um, in 2000, there were 11, though. So 
easily a hundred plus sightings for you to come check out on this website. It's pretty cool. Um, there are a lot of pictures too. They're not obviously clear. They're cryptid photos. Like, so, you know, your mileage may vary, but they're fun to look at. And people from all over the world who, you know, were in Loch Ness for holiday or specifically on a Nessie sighting trip and some pretty cool little, little compelling tales. Love a compelling tale. (laughs) Nothing better than a compelling tale in the evening. With a creature like Nessie, where you have a consistent showing over a long period of time and where it becomes so entrenched in such a specific geographic location, I think you're going to get a lot of people going there specifically to find that thing uh, is the first thing. And then secondly, the availability of more and more people just having cameras on them all the time. I don't know that more people are seeing it, but I do think that more people are emboldened to back up their claims of having seen it. So like, for example, with a creature like the Mothman, you're not going to get a rash of sightings of the Point Pleasant Mothman because one, um, there haven't been like culturally reported rashes of sightings outside of a very specific range of years, which were quite some time ago. And also because, you know, the nature of that creature is that it appears around like horrible accidents. So people aren't going to go looking for that in the same way that they can go specifically right to this one very clearly defined geographic location and look for a thing. You can just go stand at the edge of the lake and and look out and be like, ah, I see something and then snap a picture and then say, look. So that's, you know, um, the location is more contained. The sightings are more consistent. um, The conditions required to see it are less specific and less restrictive. And then again, I think, you know, more more people are going there specifically hoping and expecting to see it. So take that for what you will, either they're psychologically primed to experience or notice it, depending on how you wanna phrase it. Um, but also they're going there with equipment that will back up their story or witnesses that will corroborate their sighting. And, and that makes people a little bit more likely to put that information out into the world. Anyway, that's Nessie. There's so much more information on her. Like we could easily do just another Nessie episode cataloging sightings exclusively. Um, and maybe we will at some point in the future. I would love to at some point in the future come back and revisit some of the, you know, the buddies we've already done, either because new sightings crop up all the time or because, you know, it's it's never the same experience twice with this with this gang here, with this this situation. But you know, at least with Nessie, like Nessie is such a, a famous cryptid that, y- you know, I, I didn't really feel like sightings were as important for this go round. Like it's all gonna be the same thing. People show up to the lake, they see a shape in the water, they point at it, they take a picture, they tell everybody else they saw that shape in the water. The water was rippling. That's the sighting. Thank you all so much for listening. It really does mean a lot to us to make this show for you and We wouldn't be where we are without the people who listen and support and share in this strange joy and this weird world with us. So I just wanted to say that thanks. And thank you for uh, holding on with some patience as things get a little bit confusing at the end there. And I would love it if we can come back with a part two on Nessie sometime in the future. I'm sure we probably will. And I just want to say, as always, we hope we can keep you around and stay safe out there. Studio. Pretty, witty, and gay.